This is Robert Capuccio. Welcome to the Self-Help Antidote, a weekly dose of reason, perspective, and insight, where we challenge conventional thinking and explore authentic strategies and insights around personal transformation. Our commitment to you is to bring you some of the world's leading experts in the domains of fitness, wellness, coaching, and behavior change, separating fact from fallacy. Welcome back to another episode of the Self-Help Antidote. This is your host, Bobby Capuccio. And today we have a little bit of a shorter episode, but I wanted to discuss a subject that I think is critically important because recently something really pissed me off that I came across. And I'm not suggesting even for a second that I believe that things that personally piss me off are of universal importance, But as we start to get into this, you'll start to notice it's something that we are increasingly dealing with as individuals and a collective society. And its ramifications kind of range from mild annoyance to a real serious problem that's emerging. So let's just jump into it. Beliefs are lies. Okay, that's not really true, is it? But I just saw an advert telling aspiring speakers that they should start a presentation, whether it's on video or in front of a live audience, with a deeply provocative, highly inflammatory, borderline absurd statement communicated with absolute certainty. And this is designed to create an emotional response strong enough to bypass their audience's capacity for critical thought. So I thought, what the hell? Let's give it a go. How did I do? Hopefully, not all that well. (laughs) So clearly, not everything you believe or I believe is a lie. And that might not be a definitive, emotionally provocative, inflammatory statement, but it is in fact a reasonable one. Yet how much of the information and solicitation that we're exposed to every day is designed to be manipulative? Just like the recommendations of our rather Machiavellian public speaking trainer. Have you ever felt like you're living in a never-ending episode of a reality TV show, but instead of winning a prize, the only thing that you're competing for is a chance to not completely lose your mind? Or maybe that's just me. But anyway, welcome to the grand illusion called the Problem Reaction Solution Show, where the problems are made up and the points... Well, they definitely don't matter. So this is based around an idea of creating a problem to justify a predetermined solution. This has been used and discussed in various contexts and under different names throughout history. It's a form of the Hegelian dialect derived from philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Although Hegel himself did not explicitly formulate it in terms of problem-reaction-solution. The Hegelian dialect involves the process of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, which some interpret as a similar model for understanding how societal change can be intentionally directed. Although its use is not limited strictly around societal change, this model can and is utilized in organizations, it's frequently used in the self-help industry, and by unscrupulous marketers. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's take a whimsical wander down the twisted path of problem-reaction-solution, or as I like to call it, the oh-no-not-this-shit-again cycle. 
it's like a magic trick where the magician keeps pulling rabbits out of a hat, except only in this case, the rabbits are societal issues and the hat is well, probably owned by someone with a lot more power and a lot less empathy than you or me. So let's talk about the setup of what is arguably the world's worst magic trick. And here's how the trick goes. First, you've got a problem. But this isn't just any problem. It's the kind of problem that's been spiced up, exaggerated, or maybe conjured out of thin air. Imagine someone setting a small fire and then running into the next room and screaming, whoa, it looks like we've got a five-alarm blaze in here, people. Now for the turn. Everyone panics. Okay, so next up, we have the phase of reaction. And this is where everyone loses their collective minds. It's like someone dropping a spider into a crowded room. Suddenly, everyone's an Olympic hurdler. The media, social networks, your Uncle Jerry on Facebook, they're all emotionally reacting and amplifying the scream factor. Finally, the prestige. Abracadabra, here's the solution you absolutely needed. This is kind of like the grand finale. The solution magically appears. Except, plot twist, the solution often seems to serve those sneaky magicians more than the panicked audience. It's almost as if someone sold you a fire extinguisher for the fire they just started. Oh wait, what's that? You're worried about privacy invasion? Here, buy our premium privacy package. Now only $99.99 a month. So as an example of how overgeneralization can manifest within the realms of, let's say, the self-help industry or fitness, it's kind of like through the pervasive stereotype that individuals who are overweight are simply overweight because they're lazy. Now, now this stereotype is an oversimplified lie, basically, and often it, you know what, maybe it's true in some circumstances. Some people... Well, I guess they're lazy, but for the most part, this is a stereotype that's simplified, and it's an inaccurate portrayal that ignores the complex reality of obesity and other lifestyle-related issues that we struggle with as a society. And, and here's the breakdown of how this overgeneralization can start to unfold using problem-reaction-solution. So first, the problem phase. The issue begins with a societal overgeneralization that being overweight is directly caused by laziness and, of course, lack of self-discipline. And this narrative oversimplifies the multifaceted causes of obesity, which can include genetic factors, medical conditions, socioeconomic status, and environmental factors, among others that we don't even have time to get into within the context of what we're actually talking about. But by focusing solely on laziness as the cause, there's a failure to recognize the broader, more complex picture. So let's move on to the next phase, reaction. The public, you and I, we're influenced by this oversimplification because we hear it with so much authority and certainty and repetitiveness that we start to react with judgment and stigma towards individuals who are struggling with their weight. 
this reaction leads to, or, or very well can lead to, shame, social isolation, and anxiety among those affected, which paradoxically exacerbates the problem by encouraging emotional eating and reducing the motivation for physical activity, not to mention creates a level of reluctance around seeking out help. So the narrative of laziness demands solutions that are equally simplistic, focusing on willpower over more effective holistic approaches. So as we move into the solution phase, in response to the demand for quick fixes to a problem that, that's kind of framed as nothing more than a lack of willpower, the market floods with self-help books, fitness programs, and diet schemes that promise easy, rapid weight loss with minimal effort. These quote-unquote solutions, they, they kind of perpetuate a cycle of overgeneralization by reinforcing the idea that the only barrier to weight loss is laziness, so the only requirement is motivation. This approach not only fails to address so many of the root causes of obesity, but it also marginalizes those for whom these simplistic solutions are either ineffective, unsustainable, or a combination of both. This framing of the issue through overgeneralization targets individuals without acknowledging the complex interplay of factors that contribute to their solution. However, <laughs> this is just, this is something that you're probably all familiar with because you've experienced some form of it, even though it creates a narrative that's misleading as well as damaging by oversimplifying the solutions to their problem. The, the, the author of this narrative doesn't really have to create an offering that's comprehensive in any way, shape, or form. Because let's say only 5% of the people that utilize this product or service or program ever get any results with it. The marketer could always fall back and say, well, yeah, of course only 5% of the people are getting results. Only 5% of the people are willing to do the work because, well, 95% of the people in our society are lazy. Well, that's a thought fallacy. I mean, never mind where they got that statistic or, or how they arrived at that particular conclusion. A more nuanced understanding of the causes of obesity and a compassionate approach to health and fitness wouldn't serve the guru's agenda nearly as well as just simply ignoring the complexity of the issue and resorting to harmful stereotypes. So what do we do about this? How do you spot this trick before it happens? Well, there's three things that I would recommend. Number one, notice over-the-top problems. If it sounds like they're narrating a disaster movie, maybe take a step back and ask, is this real life? Or am I being pitched the sequel to the film 2012? Number two, the emotional roller coaster. If you're feeling more emotional ups and downs than in a soap opera's ratings, it might be time to question the narrative. And three, the all too convenient solution. When the solution fits a little bit too snugly, like a scripted reality show where everyone finds love in the end and hopefully not chlamydia, it's worth a second glance. So how do we break the spell? To snap out of the illusion, we got to start treating our critical thinking skills a bit like a muscle. And that means exercising them more than once a year. We need to become the skeptics at the magic show who we really enjoy the act, 
but we don't volunteer for the saw and half trick. Here's some strategies that, you know, as well as some questions that I think are quite helpful. Number one, seek multiple perspectives as well as sources. Before accepting a problem is presented, explore it from multiple angles and seek information from a variety of sources. This approach helps to clarify biases, examine the interest of those promoting the problem solution narrative, and understanding the complexity of the issue. Here's a few questions to ask yourself. Who benefits from presenting this problem in this particular way? Are there credible sources that offer a different perspective or additional information even on this issue? What evidence supports this claim and is it being interpreted accurately? Number two, analyze the logic of the proposed solution. Carefully consider whether the proposed solution logically addresses the problem as it's understood. Evaluate the effectiveness and feasibility of the solution and consider whether it might introduce new problems. So in this strategy, here are a few questions to ask yourself. Does the solution address the root causes of the problem or is it a superficial fix? Are there unintended consequences or downsides to this solution that, curiously enough, haven't been discussed? Is there evidence from independent studies or sources that confirm the effectiveness of this solution? Strategy number three, reflect on emotional responses. Recognize that when an emotional reaction is present, it might be clouding your judgment. Problem reaction solution often relies on emotional manipulation that drives a particular response. Take a step back to reflect on your emotional reaction because that can help you assess the situation more objectively. So in this strategy, here are a few questions to ask. Am I strong or am I reacting strongly because the presentation of the problem with the solution is triggering an emotional response? How might my emotions be influencing my perception of the problem or the attractiveness of the solution? And this is a really powerful question because I know that I've been susceptible to this in the past, although I hate to admit it. Am I being pressured to react quickly? If so, why might that be? So by applying these critical thinking strategies, we can better navigate through issues without being unduly swayed by manipulative or oversimplified narratives. These are approaches that encourage a more thoughtful, informed perspective, which leads to more rational decisions and solutions. And I just want to be clear, this isn't all doom and gloom. So what's the takeaway from our journey through the looking glass of problem-reaction-solution? Okay, it's that while the world might sometimes seem like it's scripted by a room filled with over-caffeinated soap opera writers, we're not just the audience here. We're the critics, the commentators, and yes, we're even the playwrights. So first off, when scouting for talent in this vast ensemble cast, think of credentials like Tony Awards. You're not just looking for someone who can hit their mark and remember their lines. You want the Meryl Streep of experts. You want someone who is in more scholarly journals than you've been to brunch. But be careful. 
Just because someone has a shelf full of accolades doesn't by itself necessarily mean that they can't turn out to be the diva that brings down the whole production. Credentials are key, but they should be the start of the conversation, not the entire script. So now let's move on to influencers. Navigating through influencers for solid information is like trying to find Shakespeare at a high school musical. Sure, the enthusiasm's there, and God bless them for trying. But maybe Hamlet's soliloquy doesn't quite hit the same as when it's sandwiched between TikTok dances. You're looking for depth, nuance, and someone who just doesn't hit the high notes, but understands the meaning of the score. So if their idea of a deep dive is a skim through Wikipedia, it's time to say, thank you, next. And here's another tip. Watch out for one-man shows where the narrative seems a little bit too tailored. If they're peddling a storyline that sounds like it was written in the stars just for them and their product or program, it's probably more fiction than fact. A true maestro of information knows that the best stories are complex, full of conflict, and they don't shy away from the occasional plot twist. They won't just feed you your lines, but they'll help you understand the play. Beware of dramatic monologues that promise you the moon. If their pitch includes phrases like, let me know if you've ever heard this before, quote-unquote, revolutionary breakthrough, or, quote, the secret they don't want you to know, unquote, it's probably a performance best left off Broadway. Good information is like a well-rehearsed play. It doesn't rely on cheap tricks to keep you engaged. The best sources are like the ensemble cast of a critically acclaimed production. They work together. They support each other's narratives because they want to elevate the entire production. They're not just looking for applause. They're there to make you think, question, and maybe even change your perspective. So remember, in the grand theater of life, the ability to laugh, question, and think for ourselves isn't just an act of rebellion. Lately, it's an act for survival. So keep those critical thinking hats on, even if they're a little bit less stylish than the current most popular fashion trends. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Visit us at theselfhelpantidote.com to share your feedback, insights, and recommendations on what topics you'd like us to explore in the future.